We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm up your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash CMOS. Again, that is athleticgreens.com backslash CMOS to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Hey, CMOS girlies, it's episode 65. What's up, Emma? Um, hello everyone. Hello, Kate. I'm good. You know, I pumped some iron this morning. I was, you know, killing the quads, doing Bulgarian, um, squats, nice. um, other miscellaneous stuff with the dumbbells, you know, trying to get swole for no reason. Um, and then I had oatmeal. I've been eating oatmeal again, just because it's really cold out and I need to like warm my insides, but warm, you know, my, other, insides. warm my insides. Yeah. I'm, I'm a cold person. Um, that's been my day thus far. I was just trying to rest and digest as the CMOS girlies like to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but how are you dog? Same over here. We've got hit by snow in New York now. Emma and I from the Midwest, this is nothing compared to our childhood. You know, I saw a lot of people walking around with sleds and their kids like frolicking in the snow. I'm frankly over it out of the selfish reason that I want to go on a walk and not have to trudge. 
Yeah, I like made the crazy decision to like trek to the piers to swim yesterday. And I was like walking through the snow and like the wind was blowing in my face. Like I was getting like shards of like ice literally just like hitting against my cheek. And I was like, I don't love this anymore. I was like, I I have not wanted summer more in my entire life than now. Um, I don't know how many more days I have left in me, but that is my like little I hate winter rant. Yeah, I hate winter too. I've been really pissed because I can't run. Obviously a big priority of my stupid little routine. And I thought about it and then I was like, Kate, I would just trip and eat ass. And then I would like have to call like 911, like me on like the fucking, yeah, river by myself alone, like very dangerous to do. Um, I've also been eating the warm foods. I've been eating a lot of walnuts and honey. That's not a warm food, despite me just saying that. I've been eating a lot of walnuts as well. A lot of walnuts. The omega-3s are fucking crazy. Um, but I'm entering my smooth brain era. You know, I am done being an ironic girl boss. I'm just, I want to think no thoughts. Honestly, I want to get back to the point where I've been really doing it in my morning routines. Like I've been lagging out my mornings. I'll do like a bunch of different YouTube videos to kind of like stretch or maybe do some abs or something like that. And I'll just really extend it. And then I'll go on like a really fucking slow walk. I'll come back. And like yesterday I went crazy. I was doing so many different self-care like cringy self-care things and I know they're not like gonna resolve any like you know problems I'm having but I was like doing the gua sha which then I shattered in the evening unfortunately so no longer have one uh face mask eye mask I was doing like dry brushing like all of this stuff we talked about the lymphatic drain episode I was like let's pretend I'm goop and do it but I'm gonna be escaping New York in a little bit and go to Los Angeles so if any CMOS girlies you know, have any ways for me to just become like smooth brain, no thoughts out there. I just want to be out of touch um, when I'm in California and just like hike and drink green juice and be that girl for a bit. I think that'll be, be a fun excursion for you. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm kind of jealous. Yes. I support the, the smooth brain. I feel like I've just kind of been on like my athlete ship you know first week training with the triathlon team lol I actually like made friends which was like fun I forgot like how good it feels to like train with like other people you know and I think like kind of like that athlete mentality and like people who are like oh no like I like am fully dedicated to this I'm like I get along with those type of people I don't get along with like normies who like go to um I don't know some what's like an expensive place to eat brunch at like I don't get along with those people I get along with people who wake up at like 4 35 a.m and live in Brooklyn and go swim yeah if you if you do any of that activity like Emma and I we're already gonna have something in common we all all have a little bit of a mental weakness if we're able to wake up super early and just like (laughs) yeah crush our bodies something's not right if you're able to do that yeah some people you know go out with their friends and then they'll get brunch I yeah we don't that's not really my lifestyle no shade if you are I do deep down think that that's fun that you have a friend group and you go celebrate am I jealous yes yeah do I know that like I will never be able to um achieve that that in my life yes yeah you might be asking no you can have friends no <laughs> I, I've reached this point in this life where that's not even an option. I don't know how to make friends. <laughs> yeah. And if I, I wouldn't want the stress every time I've talked to someone new, it's like, you know, in the first stages of like making someone a friend or making a new friend, you have to like perform a little bit. And I don't want to, I just want to be like smooth brain Kate. And like, I, someone ran into me the other, I think it was yesterday when I was walking around and like my old hokas and just like walking through the fucking snow 
someone's like, oh, I follow you on TikTok. And I was just completely zoned out. And I was like, holy shit, I probably look insane. I had like a top bun on and then I had my puffer on, on top of it. I looked like I was wearing a fucking top hat under my puffer. I was like, yeah, you should, no one should really just be interacting with me from like a safety level for you. Like, I don't want to put my mental stuff onto you. Um, so yeah, food has been nothing exciting over here, really. Just I, a lot of adaptogens and dusts per usual. Yeah. Yeah, the usual as well. I ate at Kanji Village yesterday, which was like everything. It was giving me like Rainforest Cafe vibes. Like the interiors were like insane, but um, 10 out of 10 establishment. Um, I've also been back into chickpea flour. I've been making savory pancakes as like a weird midday snack with like Kite Hill cheese. But um, yeah, lots of magnesium back in my rotation. I now have moon juice and the holier brand. So back and sipping my magnesium. Um, cause I really put calm, um, you know, to bed. I was like, no more calm for me that has gone into the graveyard, um, mainly for stomach reasons, but I don't know mine, mine, it hits me. Sometimes it fucks me up. Sometimes it really, it does like saving grace to have the calm, but I can never find it. You know, I'm off mackerel. Of course, there's classically no mackerel. So I've been having salmon every single day. It's like, maybe I should just buy like half a chicken and like, let it sit in my fridge and just like nibble on that throughout the week. But it's you know, like, um, someone's, I'm, I'm not gonna put them on blast, but someone in my life, they yeah. buy rotisserie chicken. And just, I know like, I was lunch on that for dinner. I'm like, you know, maybe that's a move. Just a full rotisserie chicken. That's probably like 150 grams of protein. Yeah. Why not? Um, yeah, I've been doing a lot of seed cycling, which kind of gets us into today's episode about birth control and hormones and PCOS. So we've done a few episodes about female hormones and we've done a few episodes about exercise and female hormones and various aspects that are probably going to be repetitive in this podcast. However, maybe we weren't conveying the message well, or like maybe it's just information that needs to be shared a lot. I think the girlies know what seed cycling is at this point and you guys know like what the luteal phase is, I'm hoping. Um, so we're not going to get too granular about the basics, but we get, do get a lot of questions about birth control. And I think the reason we haven't done this episode is because like Emma and I have never been on birth control. Um, it's a very valid thing in health uh, discourse because now there's like a lot of buzz, which we're going to get into about like, is birth control bad for you? And there's this whole like door opening, like kind of questioning everything we've known about the pill. So it's very relevant for us to do this episode. It's just Emma and I, like, personally, I've ever been on birth. Yeah, I think, like, Kate and I, kind of along with, like, the CBD episode, we've, like, kind of put it, like, on the back burner just because, like, since we don't really partake in, like, her and I don't really take CBD really, like, in a serious way. We don't take birth control, so we don't really feel, like, a reason to kind of, like, address this since, like, we, like, have no involvement in it and, like, you know, kind of, like, the whole idea of, like, talking about something that, like, we're not experts on, obviously, but we do get a lot of questions and, you know, I think it's like good just like for Kate and I also to like learn and educate ourselves on like birth control because yeah, I've never been on it. And also like, I'm sure for a lot of people, if you also went to like private Catholic school all your entire life, like birth control really was like not discussed like at all, like when it came to like sex ed or anything and even just like female hormones in general. So I feel like my knowledge just like in regards to like all of this, like is, was so like basically non-existent until like I really got into like health and wellness. And yeah, um, even, you know, even I went to a big public school and this shit was yeah. talked about either. It's just, it's not discussed. And there was like an instance, I think like during my even sort of recovery where I was almost going to get put on birth control if I wasn't able to get my period. 
And I think that like freaked my mom out a lot. Just like the idea of like having your daughter have like synthetic hormones running through her body, just because like, basically, you know, I wasn't able to get my period. Obviously I was able to once, like I like addressed certain things, like in like my personal life with like eating more and like reducing my exercise and whatnot. Um, and I think like kind of how they approached it with me with like birth control, it almost came as like, um, almost like a penalty, almost like, oh, like you're not doing good. So like, we almost have to like punish you by like putting you on birth control. Um, but you know, people take birth control for different reasons. We're going to get into the whole, the whole thing about it. Um, the different types, et cetera. If you're trying to get off it, you know, what to expect. So hopefully this helps you. And, you know, even if you do or do not take birth control, maybe you'll learn something more about the beauty that is the female body. Yeah. Um, So let's get into today's show. Our next partner is a product that Emma and I take every single day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted to find a greens powder that actually blended together. The taste is hands down the best greens powder I've been able to find. It even has a mild tropical taste and you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, adaptogens, you name it. For me, I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted a supplement that actually tastes great. I've always known that taking a greens powder is a great addition to one's wellness routine, but I could just never get past the unpleasant taste. This completely changed once I started taking Athletic Greens. It tastes so good that I actually look forward to drinking it every morning, something I never knew was possible. Plus, Athletic Greens contains dairy-free probiotics, and let me tell you, my digestion has never been better. Another thing that Emma and I love is that it's the one thing with the best things. Athletic Greens uses the best of best products based on the latest science with constant product iterations and third-party testing. It costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go visit athleticgreens.com backslash CMOS. Again, that is athleticgreens.com backslash CMOS to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Hey, CMOS girlies, did you know dates are hot right now? No, no, we're not talking about dinner dates with your crush. We're talking about these delicious sweet superfruit. We're here today with our friends at Julie's. Dates are trending, and for a good reason. Julie's dates are perfect sugar-sweet swap as you ditch refined sugar and start your new year strong. They may look ugly, but they taste like caramel, and they're loaded with antioxidants, and they're low in the glycemic index, so they won't make you crash. Dates are delicious on top of a dessert potato or a bowl of oats. Julie's dates have more potassium than a banana per ounce, so they're good for recovery for our fitness girlies. These dates come in the cutest boxes with sustainable packaging, and they're farm organically grown as well, which will make you smile. So if you want to try out Julie's, you can use code CMOSGirlies at checkout for 20% off your order. Now back to the show. Okie dokie. So I think first we should just kind of ground ourselves and just like what hormones even are and like what even occurs with like just a regular normal menstrual cycle if you're not taking birth control. Um, So hormones are, again, just like chemical messengers that travel throughout our body and they deliver critical information to ourselves, enabling them to do what is needed to keep our body both healthy and functioning properly. And so the main reproductive hormones for women, um, most of you guys probably already know these, but like include estrogen, testosterone, and progesterone. 
And so together, these are all responsible for anything that's related to like pregnancy, puberty, menstruation, menopause, sex drive, et cetera. And now with like a typical menstrual cycle, when you aren't on birth control and when your like typical standard um, sex hormones are, you know, driving this process, it takes place when the uterus sheds its lining. And this process is going to be regulated by progesterone and estrogen. And these two um, hormones reside in our ovaries. And in the menstrual cycle, there's two halves and it's split by the ovulation phase. So, you know, Kate always talk about with like seed cycling, like your follicular and like luteal phase, even certain seeds for certain times of your period. Um, and so the first half is going to be when es is when estrogen is made and through estrogen's influence um, the uterine lining basically grows in like the preparation for pregnancy. Then in the second half is when progesterone is made and that stops the lining from growing and then preps for the potential pregnancy. And so if the pregnancy does not occur, these two hormones drop, which then triggers the lining to be shed. And that's why we experience certain symptoms during certain periods of our like menstrual cycle, because with an increase in estrogen, that'll like lead to your body reacting in different ways, et cetera. And now hormones and birth control pills are able to block pregnancy for by like certain ways. So I think like the main reason why people probably go under birth control, obviously there's other reasons that I'll get into, but it's largely for pregnancy prevention. I think like that's the way that it's been like marketed towards women. Um, but basically in birth control pills, again, these are going to be like synthetic hormones, but they're able to like stop or reduce your ovulation. Um, thickening of the cervical mucus basically helps prohibit the sperm then from entering into the uterus. And then it helps in like thinning the lining of the uterus so that the fertilized egg is less likely to attach. And now women do choose to take the pill for various reasons. And it, there's more than just like pregnancy prevention. Um, in a U.S. government study, it's found that like 86% of the time it was for pregnancy prevention, but 31% of the time it was for menstrual pain. Um, 28% of the time preventing for like painful side effects, like migraines, really intense cramping, and then acne treatment for 14% of the time. And then for treatment for endometriosis, um, 4% of the time. And I know like, there's like other things, like if you are like anemic, maybe like going to birth control to like reduce how much like blood you're losing, but you know, it is like definitely a very personal reason for, I think why women do choose to go on the pill. Yeah. And kind of speaking about this from a larger perspective about like, how did birth control even start? Right. Um, cause I think that's often lost in the context of now of like, now that we're beyond like the women's, like the first cycles of feminism and like women's independence has progressed a lot since the early 1900s, we don't really think about sexual independence. Like we've, I think people, our generation, we've come to just realize that this is a, th a thing that people have fought for, but now it's kind of taken for granted that like, oh yeah, you can just have sex and be a free woman. Like that was not possible for a very long time. So do you want to keep that in context? And sort of like the larger, you know, the four types of birth control, we're talking about birth control. The first one's going to be lifestyle. Now this is going to be like abstinence. So it's just going to be like preventing you like ever having sex. The next one's going to be barrier. So this is like using contraception as needed. Um, not going to get into like sex ed here. I just like, I don't know how much people know and like don't know. And also like, we're not sexual educators, but these are just like the types the main one we're going to focus on is hormonal birth control. So these are the ones that are going to be used on like a regular basis in conjunction with your cycle. So it includes everything from the pill to the shot, to the ring, to the patch. IUDs are another one. And like the level of hormones that go on into hormonal birth control vary on the type of birth control you're also taking. Um, but this is going to be like the main center of the episode. And then the last thing that's like 
technically a type of birth control is going to be medical birth control. So if you're going to get a vasectomy or anything like that to prevent your like eggs from getting fertilized or getting pregnant, that also counts as birth control. And a very short timeline of like the history of the pill and contraceptive access, I'm not going to get into like a full political legal history, but like the FDA first approved the first oral contraceptive um, item in 1960. And within two years of distribution of the pill, about 1.2 million American women were using the pill. Um, now, there are going to be different like differences on like race and class lines of who had access to the pill and like the stigmas around pregnancy. A lot of that ties into race and uh, class, like I said, where white women pretty much have always had access to things like the pill. And this kind of ties into abortion access now. Obviously, those who are of color and lower income have like less likely a chance to get access to abortion, where a lot of white women are able to get like medical procedures to get access to abortion, even though it's like quote, not an abortion. Um, and so like the pill was celebrated as this ticket to female freedom. It was an independence from unwanted pregnancies. It was a, a way for like women to have bodily autonomy when they were having sex and just have more uh, freedom with this. And the conversation has obviously changed, right? There's so many brands that are now like openly talking about periods. If you think about like period underwear, like thinks, um, there's a lot of companies that also yeah, just focus on female hormones now. Like that was not even discussed prior to like recent times. So it's just like to a good thing to remember that like the pill has done a lot for women's uh, reproductive freedom. Now, when it gets into like the pros and cons of hormonal contraceptives. So the pros that I think this is kind of what you're probably taught about in health class. If you ever get a, a, like a sex educational experience, I don't really remember what I was taught in sex ed, if I'm going to be honest. I, I think honestly, I, I think from you go. I was going to say, I remember like sweating in like a, an auditorium when all of us were like looking, looking at really weird scientific diagrams, but it never felt comfortable to have these conversations. Like I had a male gym teacher and I wasn't going to go ask him like, what's, what's a tampon or like something like that. Yeah, I think like for our sex ed class, like I, we had health class, but that never really touched on like, you know, sex ed, but I remember having to go to like a sex ed class, like that was after school hours, like in the evening and they split the boys and girls up into two two different like groups. And like, we all just had to like watch like some like old like video from like literally like the seventies or the eighties. Oh my God. I remember I watched, there was a movie called Just Around the Corner. I don't know if this was like, if that rings a bell for anyone, but my sister and I remember it because she was older than me. So she said like, yeah, when you get to seventh grade, you're gonna have to watch like just around the corner and they would wheel in one of those TVs on the projector carts. And it was the most cringy thing about like, pregnancy is just around the corner or like your period is just around the corner. Like it was so fucking demented when we watched it. No, and then I remember, I think it was like freshman year of high school. I went to an all girls high school and in our like science biology class or whatever, we like literally had to watch a woman give birth. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. We did not have to do that, but wild. Yeah. So that's kind of an issue. I wonder how it is now in high schools and schools. And I just think with like the internet now, like it's got, it's, this is like a general theme, but like when you suppress information, people are going to go and find it. And like, there's studies that prove if you don't teach kids how to have sex, like sex rates of sexual intercourse still continue. There's just more unwanted pregnancies because people don't know what condoms are. Um, so that's like a bigger thing with the whole like sex ed space, but back to hormonal contraceptives. So the basic like pros of being on the pill or taking birth control is that you're going to get a consistent period. Like we said, we're going to get into the specific hormones a little later in the episode, but you'll have this routine. And we talk a lot about health routines, like 
remembering to take pills, remembering to, you know, do certain things in order to see results. So you get into this schedule of taking the pill, you take it orally once a day. And as long as you remember to take it, you're pretty much in the clear. So it is proven scientifically to prevent pregnancy. It's very safe and effective. You know, since the 1960s, there's been a lot of studies on this. There's been uh, modifications to the pill to make it even better. There's like a lot of science and consensus on the fact that like the pill is good. Um, it has the potential to be 99% effective against preventing pregnancy, even if you take it without fail. So just as long as you're taking it and you don't miss a day, that's going to be the biggest part of taking the pill. Um, it also provides an opportunity to have safe sex and this like sexual independence for women, as we were saying before. But the only thing to note is that like the pill is not going to protect you against STDs or STIs. Um, it's going to, those things are going to be transmitted anyways. So that's why if you're sexually active, it's best to prevent an STD by using condoms in addition to the pill. And the pill is also known that it can reduce severe PMS symptoms like cramps. It, it will like induce a lighter period. And if you have a really light period, it will like make your period a little bit more um, consistent. So you might get a little bit of a heavier consistent flow if you were lacking a period. That's just like the role of the pill making it regular for you. But as this episode is kind of touching on this question in the kind of middle of the episode is like, why is there now a shift against birth control? Like, I think my perspective and like being in the holistic wellness space and like working for companies and like also working in a storefront that sold a lot of like quote clean green beauty things there's this this push against the pill like I, I think there's been so much discourse around women saying like oh I'm bloated because of the pill like I have acne because of the pill like what's inside of the pill like all of these conversations are now open up in a way that they weren't before and I would also say that like a lot of the women that are starting these conversations still recognize the fact that the pill is like a huge historical achievement, right? For women to have this sexual independence. But I think women are also questioning like, it is my body, what am I putting in it? So it's kind of the same thing. And I don't think the women are like anti-feminist by like, get off the pill and fuck that, fuck all the progress that women before you made. But I think it's like, we have learned more, one. So natural female hormones were barely understood, not even studied, right, six decades ago. like the medical practitioner, medical practitioners did not give a shit about women for like a very long time. A lot of women are dismissed for having like health concerns. So we've learned a lot since the 1960s. And also the other thing about um, kind of like hormones, I guess, like in generally, like is that estrogen is going to be the master female hormone. And so this affects a lot of different like functions in the body besides just like having a regular period. It can affect your brain function, bone, joint, muscle, immune health. And so when women are like substituting estradiol, which is like the most potent estrogen in the body with a false chemical, it can create havoc for like these functions and it'll affect different health factors. So I think we used to think about the per your, your period and the pill in a very like binary aspect where it only affected your reproductive hormones. But now there's studies that like, oh shit, this could affect your brain too. This could affect your gut. So people are just a lot more curious about the side effects now. Yeah. And I think like piggybacking like off of everything that Kate said, like, I think, you know, women are now becoming much more aware and not just like women, but like, I think everyone in general, like what we're putting into our bodies. And I think specifically with like birth control pill, there is so much that like, we don't really know about it. Like I know when like my gynecologist was trying to like, you know, encourage me to get on the pill. She like barely even explained like what it does, like how it works, like where the synthetic forms are even like derived from. And so I think like, you know, since we are now hyper aware of what we're putting into our bodies in an effort to become more in tune with our health, I think a lot of women are kind of taking a second 
you know, look and being like, wait, do I want to put something into my body that I don't even fully understand? And I think, again, that just like comes with like needing to like educate everyone more when it comes to like birth control and just like, you know, female hormones as well. But I think also like, you know, there is so much talk about like, oh yeah, the birth control pill will like make you gain weight and like all this stuff or like it can impact your mood and everything. And I think like the inability to like basically like select birth control based on like how it'll affect other aspects of your health, like mood, because there's just like, isn't enough data on that um, due to like individual variability, like everyone is going to react differently. It can like create a lot of like trial and error that like you have to experience on your own at like an individual level. And so like, it can just be almost like easier not to even like take the pill and just kind of like ride out the wave of like some of like the unenjoyable symptoms that come with like the um, having a period. But yeah, I think it's just like everyone becoming like more and more aware of, yeah, just like clean beauty, clean health, et cetera, which like, you know, some of those words like don't even mean anything. Um, That kind of then gets into like the cons of like birth control. And of course, like these are all gonna like vary and it's not like, us saying like, don't take birth control pill or like birth control is bad because of X, Y, Z. Um, but the first is going to be that it's like no, like true hormones, obviously, because like the pill is derived from like synthetic forms, um, to like mimic your natural hormones. And so they're going to interfere with like your key function as a woman, such as like the ability for natural hormonal production, which basically steals our like inherent and necessary rhythms, um, from like making us infertile and like substituting these like manufactured chemicals to basically mimic our real hormones. Um, and I know like a lot of like women can sometimes be put on the pill, like super duper early on, like when they like are 12 or 13. And like, I think like messing with your hormones that early on when you're just kind of going through like puberty can like, you know, cause some things down the road. And then also, you know, taking the pill to like manage certain like hormonal imbalances, sort of like mask the underlying issues that could be solved through like lifestyle choices, whether that's like diet, exercise, et cetera. Like, yes, I think it's valid to take birth control pill if you do experience crazy symptoms, but like that also is just like a sign of like hormonal imbalances that could be solved in other ways that I think, you know, a lot of like, you know, traditional practitioners maybe don't um, put as much attention to, right? And then again, like it's a synthetic product, so it's like not natural. And so if you were to actually go on to like the US National Institute of Health, like their website, you would find that many of the ingredients of birth control pills would actually be listed as endocrine disruptors and not actually as like, you know, you know, fake hormones or whatever. And then also like potential weight gain. Um, this from like research, it's like a, it will be mild and is like a reaction to the hormones largely through like fluid retention and tissues around like breast and hips, potential acne as well, which would be more common if the pill is progesterone only. And then also like, you know, hormones in the pill, in other hormonal contraception forms are signaling software that the brain uses for other mind and body functions, right? So basically when you are taking like birth control and you have like these synthetic like hormones in your body, these are gonna alter um, hormones that could impact how basically your brain and your body interact and behave. So some women can experience mood, mood swings, excuse me, and also like depression. And I think there's, there is still like very minimal research that has been done on like the link between like birth control and mood, but also it's like known that like your sex drive does decrease when you are on the pill. And so I think that like these mood changes, you know, it is prevalent throughout women, regardless whether you're on birth control or not. But I think, you know, how it specifically dictates and is related to birth control is difficult to pinpoint from exact like causes and studies. But those are just like some of like the minor like cons that I feel like are discussed a lot when it comes to like, you know, whether you should or should not go into like birth control. 
Yeah, and kind of getting into Emma and my personal experience. So if you're new to the pod, Emma and I both have had eating disorders and gone through different forms of recovery for that and are recovered from a health perspective now. So that kind of impacted a lot of my personal journey with birth control when I went to my first, so I got my period when I was first 13. And I remember just like crying in the bathroom. I was like, oh my God, this sucks. Like, I don't want to have to do this. Especially because I was playing sports, like the idea of like wearing a tampon while I was like jumping. I was like, this is going to be so difficult to do. Slowly over time, I stopped getting my period. I would get it for a day, maybe every few months. You know, I was 15. I didn't really care about it. I didn't really think, I didn't know anything about the health impacts of that. And my doctors at the time were like, yep, it's because you're an athlete. A lot of women that are in sports are often just told that, yep, you have a lighter period because you're more active, which is true, but you should never not be getting a a natural period like during adolescence. And so that was like a huge red flag. And that's like led to different health consequences that I'm like mitigating now. So when I went into inpatient treatment, when I was about 17, um, I obviously did not have my period. And that was a huge sign of like why I had an eating disorder or like my eating disorder led to me not having a period. And my doctor said like, we're not going to put you on birth control because it's going to mimic the fact that you have a period. And then we're not going to be able to tell if you actually are quote healthy, right? Because your hormones are now going to be synthetic. And we don't know if you're like, your bone density, for example, um, all the other health markers that we're testing are actually catching up because it is just kind of hidden by this, these synthetic hormones of having the pill. Um, and so that gets into like anyone who's done, dealt with eating disorder recovery, you might be advised on the same path. And it's just because that amenorrhea, so like complete like dysregulated period or anovulation are very common in the population of women and men, well, not men, oh my gosh, uh, those with female hormones that have um, eating disorders. And so if you have amenorrhea, it's very dangerous from a health perspective to not get your true period. And it's also very dangerous because it's not possible to predict when you're ovulating. And so an unintended pregnancy may occur. So I thought, you know, when I didn't have a period, like, let's say when I was like 21 or 22 or something like that, let's say for a few months, I was like, oh, oh, this is awesome. Like I can just have sex and I'm never going to get pregnant. No, there's still a very right possibility that you could get pregnant, even if you don't have a consistent period. So like, I think Emma and I've had that conversation off the pod where we're just like, oh, am I pregnant? Or did I not get my period? Because I wasn't eating enough. And like, it's scary because you could not be getting your period and still put yourself at a risk of getting pregnant because you don't have any consistent period to like track or like know when, what days your day of ovulation. So I want to say that because I think there's a lot of conversation about like girls that kind of venture in this like, really like not pro I don't want to say pro Anna but in this like weird perspective where that's like glamorizing eating disorders and it's like no you actually could just be getting pregnant like it's not cool to not have a period right like it's not safe at all um and so in this like study in 1998 they tested a bunch of women in New Zealand who were in uh treatment for anorexia and they found that there was no difference in the number of overall pregnancies per women like if it's the women who were experiencing anorexia and the women who were not So that's just to say, like, take it seriously, whatever part of your recovery you're at. The next point that is a very serious factor that like shifted a lot for me to go through recovery is bone density. So although that hormonal contraceptives are commonly used to provide women with bone protection, just based on the fact you are like pumping your body with hormones, it has not been shown to protect bone mineral density from women with anorexia. That's like one of the biggest health consequences you suffer having an eating disorder, like you are just treating your bones like shit. And so going on to hormonal contraceptives are like, once again, they're masking the fact that like you've quote, dealt with your bone density. Hormonal medication and oral contraceptives are often like prescribed because 
oh, you think, you know, oh, these women have low bone mineral density, but the use of estrogens are providing this false picture to indicate that your skeleton is protected against osteoporosis. But in reality, like underlying this hormones, if you were to go off the pill, it would prove that like, no, you still are probably like developing osteopenia very slowly. Um, the only one that could be beneficial is that like the copper IUD doesn't have hormones in it. And so it doesn't mask this like return of menstrual bleeding. So you would be able to go on that and still quote, like work to get your period back through lifestyle factors. Um, and this is just to say that, like, I think the most important intervention to restore your periods is going to be a focus on nutrition and like restoring whatever needs to happen in your body. It's not going to be like going on the pill because the underlying health factors, um, and that gets into the next section, which is about PCOS. So I want to say this, um, Emma and I are not medical professionals. I thought that was fairly obvious of us with a meme page, not thinking that we're doctors, but I guess that people have an issue with us talking about health and wellness. Um, I think it's like critical for people that are not professionals to like interrogate the stuff that they're being told by medical professionals. And I also understand like, if you have issue with us talking about any of this stuff and say like, oh, they're not qualified and they're just like, misinforming young women that's not our intent here and like hope that that's not what you guys are getting out of this podcast we're just trying to have like discussions about these health topics and by nature of us talking about very granular high level health topics like we are researching stuff and like coming to the conclusion of like yes this is bunk research and this is not so that's like that's just us um something I wanted to say So those with PCOS, like the main issue here is that the cause is not largely known. Um, There's been an increase in interest in the field of PCOS research and specifically in the past five years, there's been a lot of medical articles published about the different aspects and like what relates to PCOS and like what is good science and what like are bad studies about PCOS. But the first description of like the diagnosis dates back to the 1900s. But it's also reasonable to conclude just based on what we know about women and like the way that history was written and like what doctors cared about that like polycystic ovaries were probably just so rare that they were not documented at the time. So they went like undiagnosed for a very long time. And now we've seen enough shift in the medical consensus to like consider this a real thing that there's now like research about it. So we probably won't have any conclusive studies about this for a while girlies. Um, So I would say like the, as I said before, like the most, despite this increased attention to PCOS, like the disease is still highly disputed and it's mostly because the diagnosis is very unclear. So what do we know about PCOS? Um, It's going to be a hormonal disorder. So it causes enlarged ovaries with small cysts on the outer edges. Now, if you can't really visualize that, I can't really either. I'm not like a science, like body, like graph type person, but majority of the women with PCOS have an elevated androgen level. And so the disease, you know, once what is it attributed to? Some say it's genetics, some say it's environmental, some say it is lifestyle factors. That consensus is still being studied and disputed amongst medical professionals and also holistic practitioners. And this disease or this is found in about 10 to or six to ten percent of the female population. Some of the signs, if you're like, do I have PCOS? I'm not going to give you a diagnosis, but some of the main things that are frequently found are going to be irregular periods acne and excess body hair. Um, So you might be someone who is developing PCOS. But once again, it's very difficult for women to get a clear diagnosis that they have PCOS because the symptoms are not clear and doctors are still disagreeing. What we do know about it from a health perspective of those who have gotten a diagnosis of PCOS is that it increases the risk of insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, obesity, and cardiovascular disease. 
So insulin resistance is the main one. It's found in about 60 to 80% of all women with PCOS. And the, the issue with PCOS, or I think the reason why there's now like a lot of um, studies about it or concern about it is because PCOS is the most common cause of menstrual irregularity that leads to infertility. So in addition to just like amenorrhea of like not having your period, this very like undiagnosed, like unclear thing is now leading for like many, many women to just be infertile and not be able to have children. So for women with PCOS that are not seeking pregnancy for say, like getting on oral contraceptive pills are going to be probably your first line of treatment that a doctor will tell you. Now, this is not me giving you a diagnosis, like go to a doctor, but that's just kind of like typically what happens. Um, and not only did the pills like rent regulate your menstrual cycle, which is why doctors like would have like an inkling to put you on it, but it also is going to decrease the production of androgens. Like as I spoke earlier, so androgens are the things that are going to cause more male dominant characteristics like facial hair and a deeper voice. So that's why this, the pill would help regulate that. And then like, once again, the birth control, the big thing to remember is that it may often offer you symptom relief. So it may make your periods like more manageable make your mood swings better, but the underlying cause of you having PCOS is not going to be addressed from peace, from going on birth control. It's just going to make life more tolerable. So that's why you should go consult a doctor. Um, another thing is like, there's a drug called metformin. Um, the medication often like decreases excess insulin. So that might help women with PCOS. But the biggest thing, as I said earlier, is that like, it's all to be determined, like TBD, we need more research. I think the topics of like insulin resistance and these metabolic, metabolic abnormalities associated with PCOS are going to be the ones that there's most research and interest about just because it is like, if you're going to be the doctor that can figure out like what the hell to do about PCOS, like it's going to be really, um, I don't know, just like, I'm not going to say like, like a gold star for you, but you're going to feel just like, wow, I really figured something out in the medical profession. I hope that like doctors and people that are in these spaces, like are really seeking to find a cure and not just like having like their little life of being a doctor and like seeking some sort of like profit off of it. Mm -hmm. And then that kind of gets into like, if you want to get off birth control. So whether you're at a point where you're on birth control and maybe you're seeking to get pregnant, I don't think we have any listeners that are probably like in that age range, but who knows? Or maybe you're just like, yeah, I don't like how my body feels now with like on birth control. I just kind of want to like have my natural hormones do what they're intended to do. This is what you can kind of expect when you go off birth control. First things that you can actually get off your birth control whenever you don't have to like wait until like you finish all the pills in the cycle or whatever, but your body is going to require some time to readjust because, you know, your body was operating off of synthetic hormones and needs to get used to getting back to it's like quote unquote, you know, natural state where the hormones that regulate your cycle can then start to experience and go about their normal fluctuations and cycles. And so, you know, with birth control, the synthetic hormones you know, they're suppressing your natural hormones. And so the shift from like, you know, synthetic to normal to take rain can take a few weeks. You know, this can even range for like a few months, but if it's over three months and you still haven't gotten like a regular period after getting off birth control, that's kind of a time to maybe talk to your doctor because you might be experiencing post-pilomenorrhea. But what you can expect though, is like likely to have a heavier and more painful period at first. And, you know, this is going to largely be because like birth control does make your period lighter, less painful, and also just like more predictable. So you could experience like the complete opposite. So heavier, um, heavier flow, um, more painful. And also like, it could just be a little bit irregular because there's going to be such crazy fluctuations with your normal hormones until they kind of are able to study out. Next is going to be skin breakouts. 
And so the hormones are again, stabilized when you are in the pill. So once you get off, you could have irregular hormonal imbalances because during like ovulation, estrogen and testosterone are at their highest and your body responds to this through acne breakouts. You could also experience then a boost in libido because as mentioned previously in the episode, you know, birth control does, um, lower your sex drive. And so coming off the spike, the off the pill will spike, um, testosterone, Again, you're also going to probably experience many more PMS symptoms. For many people, they go on birth control to have a less painful period. And so if you were someone who had terrible PMS symptoms beforehand, you're probably going to experience that again. And then also potential weight gain, but this is just going to be in relation to like water retention or just like from hormone irregular irregularity. And also then like, you know, some women might lose weight. So this is kind of like a case by case basis, but the things to expect, I think, are just kind of like what comes with like having a normal period. Yeah. And I think also it's like, you know, everyone always talks about too that like, oh, like you shouldn't be experiencing any PMS symptoms, like, because that's just like a sign that you have like hormonal imbalances. And I think it's like really impractical to like expect yourself to like have perfect hormones like your entire life just because they are like so delicate. And it's like, yeah, we live in a very stressful environment that it's like, I'm going to be stressed most of the time. And like, I'm not going to be able to like really reduce that. And if that impacts my hormones and like, so be it. But um, yeah, so that's just kind of like what to expect. And again, it's going to be like different from like each person, obviously best advice is like to do this with your doctor. Um, don't just like do this on your own. Be like, I'm going to stop taking it at everything. Cause like, they'll obviously have better insight and guidance and know what you should and shouldn't be experiencing through, through that. Yeah. And a few of you guys asked about like natural alternatives to the pill. Like I, you know, there is like the fertility awareness method. Like once again, Emma and I are not really trying to have a child. So I would say we're not your best bet on that, but there is like research and there are like a lot of resources on if you were, are in that stage of your life and like what to consider. Um, and some more resources is that like, overall, I would say it's going to take some time for someone to listen to you and like, take your, take your concerns seriously which is really hard to hear just like what we've already kind of said about how women have been dismissed for having period pain and how there's been just so many stigmas around it I do think the conversation is more open than it was even like five years ago with getting resources and getting help so like your first doctor might just say like okay get on the pill or like okay gain 20 pounds and you might be like no I don't want to get on the pill or I want to get on the pill but I'm also concerned about this other thing like you have to become an advocate for yourself. And that's like a really hard place to do it, especially in like the women's health space. Um, and some resources that like we found that I would say are like good about this like kind of tension between that once again, this holistic route and the more Western traditional route of birth control. Alyssa Vitti, she's pretty well known in the female health space. So her two books are Woman Code and In the Flow. And she's kind of opened up, I think a lot of discussion about tracking your cycle, you know, the natural lifestyle alternatives to reduce PMS symptoms. She's a really good resource. And like, you can find her books. Her website is great. Um, I don't know if she does independent counseling, but I think she has like resources of like doctors she could suggest with you. And then the next one that I found uh, by Laura Bryden, who's a naturopath, it's called like the period repair manual. So it has a lot of treatments about diet and nutritional supplements. And then also like body identical hormone therapy, which is like a kind of a newer age thing in the health and wellness space in relation to periods, but she's a great resource if you are thinking about alternative methods of like regulating your period and you have no idea where to start. And then the next one is going to be a book called Beyond the Pill. So it's by Jolene Brighton. It's this 30-day program for your period, and it focuses a lot on 
mood and fertility and like missing libido. And it specializes in hormonal balance, like really challenges you to look at your cycle. And like, once again, we talk about everything with routines and wellness, it forces you to do a lot of exercises that make you think about like, what am I feeling on day 17? What am I feeling on my next cycle, my period? Am I, you know, are my symptoms actually lining up with what is supposed to be happening in my body? And I would say it's like a perfect companion for those that already are charting their cycles, but it helps you navigate with a little bit more of a tool book, right? Because I use the app Flow and there's like Clue, like which are period tracking apps, but I don't pay for the version. They're like crazy expensive. I was looking at it. It's like $90 for the app or something like that for a year. Yeah, it's like expensive. I'm not discounting. It makes sense. There's probably so many resources, but I don't have that. So this book is kind of a companion piece to those who are already tracking their cycle. And it also includes how to come off hormonal birth control, which like we didn't really touch on in this episode because we're not medical practitioners. And I'm not going to tell you like how to get off your hormonal birth control because that's just a really risky area of advice. Um, But yeah, I just want to say like there are resources out there if you are interested in this space and like the natural kind of approach to periods or just learning more about your cycle and what to do about it. Um, so yeah, I got my period <laughs> last week and, you know, I've been seed cycling. That's pretty much all I really do. Emma. Yeah. I'm still waiting for my period to come. Um, but you know, that happens and yeah, just, I keep on seed cycling as well. And that's the birth control episode. Hopefully, you know, y'all learn some stuff. I know I did. Yeah, I learned some stuff. I think it's a really interesting area. And like, who knows, maybe in five years, we're all going to be doing something crazy to regulate our periods and our hormones and stuff. But I think the biggest thing is like talking about it with your friends too. Like Emma and I talk about it once again, we don't have a friend group, but you know, think about it. You you have each other though. Yeah. If you had like 10 girlies that are like in your college dorm or something. And like, if you're talking about periods, I'm sure like everyone has their own little like hacks and tips and stuff. So that could be something that's helpful. And like, you know, if you have, feel, have a lot of questions that you're like, this is a stupid question. Like girlies, I like, I was 20 and I was, I was a virgin until I was 21. Like I did not know anything. And I felt so stigmatized to like, even talk to my mom about it. Cause I was like, this is awkward. So if you have friends around you, like someone has asked a stupider fucking question about sex or about hormones or about periods than you have. So don't feel weird about it. Do not. No. Well, dog, well, another episode. Completed. I did it again. Yeah. Wild. I need to go to Whole Foods and hope that they have stuff after this snowstorm. Dude, I, refuse- I need to go to Whole Foods too. Oh my God. Wait, should we, wish should we wink and nod, do that thing there? Yeah, perhaps. Okay. I also yeah. So hope y'all have been surviving without the memes. Um, you know, we'll be back soon. It's almost February. Um, it's February tomorrow, right? Is it? Or day after? I know nothing about um, the fire. There's 31 days in January. So on Tuesday, it'll be February. Oh yeah. When this episode comes out, we're, we're in February. So happy February. Um, hope the girlies are doing well and we'll talk to you guys next week.